with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Hey, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good day to you. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Rod Kolek, of course, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, and amazing New England Van Helsing. And with me, my co-host, all the way across from where he is in Wales, I could never pronounce it or spell it, the gold standard in ghost hunting, the god of infrasound, Steve Parsons. Hello. Hmm. Actually, the town, you could spell it because it's English, an English name. What is it? Well, you would say Haverford West. Uh, I don't know what the hell I'd say. H A V E R Ford West. Yeah, okay. Haverford West. Like oh, Haverford. Hence West Radio, right? Hence West Radio. Well, it is uh, West Wales, so. Oh, that on top of it, too. Oh, geez. Yeah. Interesting. We're a long way west. Yeah. Well, it's better than live in Belchertown. That could be worse. Yes, but we have a town in, in Massachusetts called Belchertown. Oh, we've got some wild ones over here. We've got... Um, We've got up in Scotland. There's there's a town called Twat. Twat. <laughs> I love yep. that one. Where are you from? There's, I'm from Twat. <laughs> yeah. There is um, a place in Yorkshire called Wet Wang. Wet Wang. Yeah. Oh God. There's uh, oh there's there's a whole there's a whole list of crazy place names in the UK. They're oh, all historical. A... Yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, every so often, uh, I don't know why, but the meteorologist, uh, one of the local stations, always talks about the largest freaking word in the English language or whatever it is, uh, name. That one, you mean? Yeah, that one. You can actually see it. I am impressed. So there you go. But anyway, uh, I do want to mention we have uh, Spirit Quest coming up. It took, uh, the producer just asked me about that. And it is uh, September 29th and 30th and October 1st at VZ Estate, of course. And it's called Beyond the Veil. So check it out. Go to nigosproject.com. Uh, nigosproject.com. So cool. check it out. Okay. Well, while you were doing that, um, I just pulled up a website because you always do that. Um, in London, you've got Back Passage. Okay. Mincing Lane. Who? Mincing Lane. Ah. One for you lot over in America, Trump Street. Good. Cumming Street. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you've got, um, historically, paranormally, you've got Cock Lane and Scratching Fanny. <laughs> Scratching Fanny, I like that one. Yes, uh, well, we got, yeah, we got Balls Green, Balls Cross, <laughs> um, Bell End, 
Oh god, what's this? Boggy bottom, boots lame, broad bottom. Um, <laughs> there's thousands of different cock lane, cock law, cock bridge, cock a mouth. Okay. Cock shoot. And I'm only in. Here we go. We've got this means something different in the UK, but we got Fanny Barks, Fanny Avenue, Fanny Hands, Honey Knob. Honey. We're going to do the whole show on names. <laughs> no, hang on. I'm going to get through. Yeah. Just looking for the what? We've got Shag, Shitterton. Oh, guy. <laughs> but you call it bottom. shite though you don't call it the same thing though right no we no, we say shit um, shite is, is just posher um, oh posher yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay I like that well, we got snatch lane nice place to live mm. uh, turkey cock lane ugly uh, <laughs> upper upper and lower dicker upper thong uh, Wet Wango did that before. Why Wide Willy? And the, the the list just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, I've never looked into what we have, but that uh, when they just came up in our conversation. But yeah, that someday we have to do even more of that. And actually, well, it makes a change from cemetery tripping. We could yeah. do um, the crazy place names of the US and the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could do that. Anyways, uh, one of these days, one of these, one of these days, if I ever, ever get the nerve to do it, which I haven't done on any of my shows, which is kind of amazing since I'm pretty liberal. Um, Well, I mean, and you've been broadcasting for so long. Weren't you on the first Edison recording? Uh, I believe I was on the first. Isn't it, uh, isn't Mac- it you going, Macaulay, Mary? Macaulay, Mary, uh, had, I w- I was Mary on, had a little lamp. Its fleece was white as snow. I was on Macaulay, uh, you know, when he was uh, on that thing. So some people say he didn't invent that, by the way. It possibly didn't. He isn't certainly. There a, isn't there a to do about it? There is a bit of a to do about it. Um, it may be that Marconi borrowed the idea. But then mm-hmm. Edison also borrowed several ideas as well. Yes, he did. Well, so he, Edison, Edison was very fast on the pat, down to the patent office. So here's here's what uh, some of the topics I've I've never touched on, uh, but so so tempted. Bizarre and icky relationships. Bizarre places to get married. I did do. I take that back. Uh, Incredibly bizarre sexual practices and the most famous penises. So I have not done those. So just saying. Anyway, well, right, I just show. Um, let's move on. Yeah, because this is getting a little crazy. So, anyways, we have been asking you, you are a listening audience. Yes, we do have a listening audience uh, to send in uh, questions. Uh, for if you had me, you know, I don't, we would, you know, if you really had a question, we would do it. And uh, we have a question. We have many questions. Oh. So this this show actually we're going to devote clarities up because I've had them. They've been building, so we got to get to it. Right. Let's clear the right. backlog. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's let's clear this backlog. Okay. 
So these these are uh, you know serious questions, by the way. Um, I have a question. No kidding. That's what I asked. And that's what said. you both mentioned the importance of measuring temperature during an investigation. What is the proper way to do it? That's actually a good question, by the way. Well, uh, it is actually covered in ghostology. Um, and yeah, also, well, maybe he doesn't well, have a copy of ghostology. No, no. But, you know, it's a plug. Yeah. You can buy a copy um, because if you are measuring, uh, if you're going to go into a location with a single thermometer, frankly, you're probably wasting your time. Um, you can get some information from it. But if you were at the opposite end of the scale, if you were uh, uh, an engineer wanting to minutely measure the temperature throughout a room or a space or a building, then like so many things, that's covered by international standards, how it's done. So you would ordinarily divide the space into blocks and then you would take the a temperature. Grids, as we like to call it. Of what? Sorry. Yeah, well, blocks or a grid? Because, like well, blocks, grid. because it's, it's three-dimensional floor to ceiling as well as laterally side to side. Front okay, to that makes sense. That's clear too. How you, and then you, you, would, you would take the temperature simultaneously in each block and then you would average those temperatures together. Again, that is impractical for most people because it's not only time consuming, it's expensive because you need a lot of sensors or um, temperature recording devices to do that. Mm -hmm. So the modern solution is if you want to measure the air temperature, then take a half dozen readings uh, divide the floor, divide the bot, the space into a number of blocks that you can manage and then say in quick succession, as quickly as you possibly can, take the temperature in each block. And we usually suggest about at one meter or one yard intervals. So from side to side and from floor to ceiling. And then that will that will now realistically, the air temperature doesn't change rapidly. So as a baseline, you're good to do that every half hour. Mm -hmm. And it can take you about five minutes. So my, my question is... Well, I was going to say, we can now speed it up because the modern thermal imaging camera can actually take tens of thousands of individual um, temperatures because every pixel of the thermal camera is a temperature sensor. And you can take a radiograph, which you can dump into some computer software, which is normally supplied free by the thermal imaging camera uh, manufacturer. And then you will produce a radio, a thermal um, graph. Okay, so I, I have a question onto that because you brought something up, which I, I was surprised you would even said it, is that you said the thermal camera could be used, but what are you measuring with the thermal camera? If you're measuring it. Well, you, the thermal camera won't tell you the actual air temperature because it can't see the air temperature. Exactly. But, that was my but point. But what the thermal camera can do is it, it can measure the temperature of all of the radiating surfaces in the room. So, so if floor, you did a 360? Well, if you take a, a thermal image called a radiograph mm -hmm. and yep. then you, you, you can have the temperature of the ceiling, the walls, the floor, and objects in the room. 
uh, and they are all emitting. And the software is clever enough to do the math and it can give you a close approximation of the air temperature. So the thermal imaging is actually a broad uh, scope versus a uh, laser thermometer, which is a very localized. Well, scope. a laser thermometer is a misnomer because the laser thermometer, the laser is there purely so that you know where you put it. You know it where in. it is. You're exactly. Yeah, it measures, it doesn't measure the temperature at all uh, using the laser. The laser is just so that you know where it is. Yeah, but the people, laser thermometer. Why I, why I use just, that is people understand what that is. That's what yeah. it's called. The laser, the laser, th I think, was it Troy Taylor actually said it? The laser shoots out a beam of light and then it measures, uh, which is complete rubbish. Yeah, but well. the laser is there so that you know where you're pointing it. And although you have a precise laser dot, which is in the center of the measurements, the measurements themselves are actually not that precise because the sensor is exactly the same as the infrared sensor that you would use in a motion detector alarm system. So it's actually an expanding cone in front of the camera, in front of the uh, um, okay. thermometer. So if you are very close to the thermometer and when you've seen them using it, for example, during COVID, they would put the uh, laser thermometer up close to somebody's forehead, two to three inches away, and it's very accurate. But if you're two to three feet away or further away, right. then you are going to get a larger. I've seen people trying to judge the te or measure the temperature of um a, a, you know, a small object like a book or a vase vase um, from six or seven feet by putting the laser pointer onto it. Well, what they're actually measuring is about is obviously the temperature of the area, the object, but around four to five feet all around it. OK, but so only that... solid. But again, like with the thermal imaging camera, it can only see infrared radiating uh, surfaces it cannot measure the air temperature. So my next question would be uh, temperature tags. What uh, could you grid a room and put a temperature tag in each one of the grids? And if you did, how? What would be the well, area? Actually, we would... do. Actually, we used to. Prior to using uh, thermal imager with software, what we used to do was a system. We had a a bunch of garden canes. Um, now, these garden canes were... What's a garden uh, cane, uh, Steve? A bamboo, a piece of bamboo, okay. um, a garden stake. Okay. A thin pole, um, mm -hmm. kind, kind of looks like a fishing pole, but they're made of bamboo. Yeah. And you can buy them really, really cheaply. So we used to buy a bunch of these, and then we would mark, um, obviously when you were, you know, you put it on the floor, and we would have pre-marked them at three foot, six foot, intervals along the pole and at those intervals we would tie a, a a tag thermometer a thermistor thermometer and then we would just walk around the room and we would take the temperature um using this because that allowed us to get the three foot you know the two foot three foot floor to ceiling and then we would just move the poles around the room. We we uh, would move, have moving, moving around. Wouldn't you corrupt it by by moving? Yeah, the yeah but you could. I mean, you, the air moves anyway, so you're not going to be ultra precise. Um, mm -hmm. 
with with these i mean you've got to be realistic you've got to work with the equipment that's affordable you haven't got you know science grade very high spec uh, spec um, thermometers and you don't need them anyway um you know a good quality a data logging thermometer is a great way to measure the air and there is you know there are two or three different types of device you can get the ones we always use and recommend are thermocouples because they're very fast reacting uh, responding whereas and these, recordable too which is nice yeah but i mean you can get i mean a thermocouple costs two dollars it's mm. just you know it's just basically a, a junction between two wires of different made of different metals um and it's you know it's, it's almost throwaway cheap um, but the, the, the advantage of the thermocouple is it's extremely fast acting. Um, it can, it, you know, it can, and if the thermometer you've got is recording, you know, that can record the temperature 50, hundred times a minute, then a thermocouple is. But one of the big issues with a lot of thermometers that use what are called thermistors or uh, resistor thermometers is that they have a plastic bulb at the end to protect the very uh, delicate sensor and by the time you know first of all the plastic bulb has got to change temperature before the device can see that change of temperature so there is a lag while the bulb itself heats up and cools right so all of those factors play in and i would suggest if you're gonna yes thermometers are possibly one of the most helpful devices um buy a thermocouple it will with the, you know the the actual device itself the sensor is a couple of dollars the thermometer maybe 25 dollars um and most of them will now data log Mm -hmm. and buy say a half dozen of them and then you can join them all together through a connection box plug it into the side of a computer now what, or what about device. you know you know devices like the melmeter which has the uh k probe well, whatever. that it, little probe on the front on the top of you know that little tiny stub of wire on the yep. top of the melmeter that's a that's a, um a thermocouple and you can make those thermocouple wires any any length you like. You know, they can be tens of meters long, tens of yards long, or they can be a little tiny stub of wire. So you could actually measure something remotely. You could you would have to change the sensor because the sensor is the end of that little stub of wire. Right. But you could you could unplug it and plug in a wire, you know, that's 10 feet long or 20 yeah that's feet what i'm long. saying so if you plugged in a, a a wire that was 10 foot long and stuck in another room it would actually measure where it was wherever the end of the wire yeah. is exactly okay yeah and that's probably good the question. Only, that was a good question that's probably the only use of a melmeter that i can plausibly think of unless you want to use the torch the flashlight mm -hmm. okay so moving on because we do have a ton of these stupid things Oh, did I say stupid? No. Uh, you often no speak. No question is stupid, ever. That's right. Just the answers. Boy, we have some good ones. Uh, you often speak about pareidolia, et cetera. Right. But how would you know 
if you truly captured a ghost on video or a photograph? Well, you probably wouldn't because the, there are there are a lot of photographs dating way back to the dawn of photography in the late Victorian era that claim to have photographed a ghost. You have Lady the brown, brown. Lady, yeah. you have the brown lady of Raynham Hall, mm-hmm. um, and you have many many others. All of them are um, contentious in some way. There is there is none of them are definitive. So there is room to there's wiggle room for the skeptics and the believers yep. to uh, take from that picture what they want. Yeah, the one I um, always talk about is the the one the lady sent me and and uh, sent me a little picture with somebody by a fountain and it was a little girl in the picture and she says, uh, "What do you think of this ghost picture?" And I'm looking at it. I says, "I really don't see any ghost in it." She says, "The little girl, it wasn't there." Now there's no way in hell I could judge that picture not being there and see if that girl was there unless I was like videoing it at the time or something, or they were videoing it at the time. Well, there is a lot of one of the one of the questions. I mean, a lot of investigators use video or mm-hmm. still photography. They 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 all have the smartphones now, so we all yeah. have access to the cameras. Yeah, cool. They're very cool, but one of the biggest problems is, as the technology has advanced, our ability to trust it has decreased because it is now so simple to add a ghost to a picture. You can do it uh, in almost real time, almost instantaneously as you take the picture. And uh, therefore... Because there is no negative stage that you have with analog film photography, there is no real way of. And when we see these extraordinary pictures now, of um, you know, the first thing people shout is, I remember when Tesla launched a, a Tesla automobile into Earth orbit, and then there were photographs, you know, there were cameras all over this red Tesla sports sports car. And he, he actually did it. And when they when the pictures and the video footage were being transmitted, people were shouting, that's Photoshop, because they just don't trust it, because they know that we can, we can now uh, reliably, with CGI, AI, um, the apps that are on smartphones, you can, you can spoof, you know, you can put President Biden into... You know, morph his face into the Statue of Liberty in a very realistic way. Mm-hmm. And so yep. our trust, as the technology has improved, our trust in the technology has decreased. Sure. Look at, we, you know, we haven't landed on the moon. We are on the moon that, you know, that's already been proven so, by the you know, people. We don't, I don't think we'll ever get a definitive ghost photograph. And if, even if we did, because of our lack of trust in photography and video now, because it can be so easily manipulated, I don't think it would stand, even if it was a genuine ghost. Okay, so moving on to the next one. Um, Oh, this is a question for you, Steve. Uh, Question for Steve. I am a paranormal investigator, and I am planning to go to the UK next year. Cool. Do you, do you know any teams that would allow you to go on 
in an investigation with them? Uh, lots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> most. Um, before you set off for the UK, uh, Google, use Google, just do a quick search on um, UK ghost hunting events. Uh, you can maybe also uh, narrow the search by putting which part of the UK you're going to be in and when. So you could put, for example, UK ghost hunting events, Yorkshire, September 2024. And I'd, I'd wait till about six months before you leave. Uh, because most groups in the UK only promote themselves about six months ahead. And you will see them come up and for 20 or 30 pounds, send them the money. They'll send you your booking and just turn up on the day. There you go. So it would be a real investigation though. Yeah, I know. Hopefully that'll help you. Or you could contact Steve and he'll uh, take you up. Well, yeah, you could only. For the right price, for the right price. (laughs) <laughs> well, depending on where you are, if you're heading to West Wales, then yeah, by all means, um, you mm-hmm. know, but give me a shout and I'll point you into. Or before you set off, um, you know, give me a give me a holler on um, the Facebook page, Ghost Chronicles Facebook page, and I'll maybe make some suggestions. Oh, there you go. Happy yeah. to do that. How can you beat that? So we are coming up to the break. So we have a ton of questions too, by the way. Which is... We have to go faster after the break then. Yeah. Well, that first one was a good one. We did have to spend some time on it because I thought that was an important question on on temperature. Anyways, um, yeah. So we've got a bunch of more of your questions covering all different things, and especially you're relating to uh, paranormal investigating and research. So uh, that should be fun. So anyway, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Potts and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet and wherever all good podcasts are. Go to die. Yeah, go to die. Yes. And so check that out. We're brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts. The Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, Northendover, Massachusetts. And are they with Trump at the moment? Isn't aren't they advising the Trump family at the moment? Who? The Gallant Messier family law uh, Oh no, 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 no. And um, um our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio One Patreon, become a member, help support the show. Three bucks a month, you get access to exclusive videos and other cool stuff. And uh, there you go. And I'll don't forget to check out uh ghost any to see hear read more about spirit quests and some of the other events that I will be doing. And Steve, you've got an event this fall too, huh? Um, I might have. Might have several. Right. Too late now. So we're going to the break. We'll be right back here on Tojinet after this. Well, <laughs> if you, you can't even remember it, you just spit it out, you have been fine. We'll be back. Welcome to Tokinet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. sure you've realized by now this is the second half of the first half of the ghost chronicles double edition and i'm not going to waste any more time because we want to push through a bunch of questions so what's next all right so in the early days of psychical research uh, a lot of time was spent on esp and mediums but it seems to go on by the wayside are there any institutions or institutes or groups still doing serious research on it Yes, is the short answer, including the Society for Psychical Research, Northampton University, and the, uh, uh, what are they called? The, the Rhinder? Uh, I mean, they were like one of the leaders. I believe they are. Um, and also the Spiritualist, the SNU, Spiritualist National Union. Ordinarily, ghost hunters don't really dabble in that side of things. That's left to the parapsychologists. Moving on. Mm-hmm. What was that? I said, moving on. Next question. Oh, well, no, I had a, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't. time for supplementaries. Yeah, yes, we do, because it's supposed to be both of us talking. I hate to tell you. Uh, oh, okay. in the, yeah, it's, so, is there, I mean, you, you mentioned all those organizations, but are they doing, where do they gra- grab their, I mean, are they working with mediums or is it just ESP? Are they doing Zenecards? Is that the thing or is it something Different. All, all of the above uh, still happen. Um, it's just not cool. It doesn't get mentioned very often. It's uh, more research is being done into consciousness rather than and how the brain works rather than studying mediums, because by and large, the majority of them don't want to be tested and won't okay. come anywhere near a research laboratory. Even if you, you know, chase them in with a pointy stick, because inevitably almost inevitably they're found to be what well not found mediums. to be 
Not oh. mediums. Oh, <laughs> you just left me hanging there. I thought you got out. <laughs> and, and you do get some who will agree to be testing and then put up all sorts of barriers and, uh, you know, reasons why they can't do something. And then afterwards say, uh, psychic medium as tested by. And that's one of the reasons why some universities now won't touch them. Mm. Um, because you get this sort of, as seen on TV type, you know, as yes. tested by what the tech you know whether how badly they fared they will still use that to their advantage has i mean even in the early days uh there was some crossover but like have the the spiritualist union and like for instance the sbr or even a a, a proper college uh co uh collaborated on on research yeah, all the time. I mean, the very early days of the SPR was they were hand in glove with the spiritualist movement. Yeah, that's what I mean. In the early days, that's what he said too. And then, but he talks well, about now. But then, well, yeah, well, the spiritualists didn't like being debunked, and so they left. Um, they there was a, there was a rift, shall we say, artistic differences, mm -hmm. and so they they split off and did their own thing. Because what was happening was, as Faraday discovered way back in the, you know, in the in the eighteenth, in the nineteenth century, these people were mostly magicians, tricksters, fraudsters, mm -hmm. uh, and and so people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a champion of spiritualism, took great offence at this, and with others, you know, other leading spiritualists said. When we're not having any of this, well, let's form our own society. Oh, and off they went. And there you but go. they are—they are now coming back together. Okay, I mean that seems to me it would be a good union. Made up. It would be a good union. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead to this question because it kind of goes with uh, the one we just talked about. I know Ron does, but. Does Steve, would you ever use a psychic on an investigation? If so, how uh, would you use he or her? Oh, well, yes, we do. Um, and if you've listened to the show, I've talked about it in the past. We've we've used one or two mediums. And what we generally tend to do is we... You know, we have over 300 shows, by the way. Well, they could scroll back. <laughs> uh, but what we generally do is we, we would give... Um, the psychic, the medium, the sensitive. Uh, we often just give them a plan of the building, a floor plan, and uh, we send them off. We say, "Off you, you know, go go off and do your stuff, and mark on the plan anything that you think might be of interest." Um, and then come back, give us your plan, and we'll say good night, and you can go home. <laughs> and then we will compare what they have and what they have deduced with what we find. And that's how we've always used psychics. Okay. Um, we have occasionally used psychics to stage seances, re, uh, replica seances when um, that's pertinent, relevant, you know, because the group or a group of people were holding a seance and they claim that that was the triggering event. So we replicate that and we use... Oh, yeah. You know, psychic for that, but yes, we I've got absolutely nothing against psychics, um, in the main. Um, but we don't what we never do is put them on a pedestal 
because the thoughts and impressions that they get, which they claim are coming psychically, we treat them with the same weight and gravity as everybody else's thoughts and impressions. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's... Uh, so I was just thinking, all right, yeah, all right, that makes sense. All perfectly clear. Now let's take another one. Did I, I thought I had something else to follow up on that. I don't know. Whatever. Must be a lie. Uh, what we got here? Uh, you often talk about paranormal exper experiments with repeatable results. How? Well, any any experiment with repeatable results. How would uh, one go about testing the results of one of these? What repeatable result? Well, a replicant a replication study is. When a, when when a, uh, an experiment is done and then written up for peer review for publication, etc., mm -hmm. then the methodology um, and the equipment. You remember when you did science class at school and you had to write down um, your hypothesis, the equipment you used, oh, yeah. blah 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 blah. Well, it's exactly the same for um, a, a psychic a psychical experiment. And so another bunch of people would come along and they would use your notes and your documents and they would replicate your experiment to see if they got the same results. And what you can also do is you can take a bunch of these replication studies. So, for example, the Gansfeld and the Gansfeld experiment, people can look it up, just Google it, G-A-N-Z field or G-A-N-Z, for our American friends, field, Gansfeld experiment. And you can do a meta-analysis. So you can take a bunch of these, because it's been done hundreds of times, and you can take a meta-analysis where you look at a big chunk of the results of a lot of experiments to give you, um, you know, a more... It's kind of like doing weather modeling. You know, you don't do one run of a weather model. You do hundreds of runs and then you sort of average them all together. Well, that's kind of what a meta-analysis is. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Uh, so if somebody wanted to do some of these early experiments that they, they had, you said they published, uh, where would they be published? Uh, they could go to the SPR's website. That's one source. They could look up early uh, PSI, PSI experiments. And some of them, I mean, some of them were remarkably simple and easy to, you know, to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the most challenging experiments in terms of the results it seemed to produce was one where two researchers, these were members of the SPR back in the 1800s, and they would arrange... Um, well, at eight o'clock tonight, I am going to imagine that I am visiting you in your home. Okay. That was basically the experiment. And at yeah. eight o'clock, and then <laughs> it was remarkable how many times the other person said, yes, I, you know, and described what they were wearing and what they said and blah, 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 blah. Hmm. That's intriguing. It was. 
even though the other person was actually sitting or lying in their own home at the time, they they mentally projected, astrally projected themselves. So it's astral projection, sort of like what they well, did. Well, that's, that's the modern game. parlance. That's yeah. the modern. They called it thought transference. Mm-hmm. But the modern the modern equivalent is astral projection, and it was it was done, you know, a bunch of times by a bunch of very well respected SPR in, uh, researchers. They wrote all their stuff up in their journals, which are part of the SPR's archive, and you see them reporting it being successful, you know, a bunch of times. And you think, wow, there's something in this, because these weren't screwy people. So, I mean, that is a really simple experiment to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I've always wondered, this goes to, to EVPs, that if some of those that are captured aren't really projections of the uh, operator or the uh, the person really actually doing the ghost EVP. in the machine, or the group, yeah, or the group in, in itself, where it's even a group consciousness look wanting an answer and and of course getting it on an EVP because I, I you know it, once again it's not an EVP isn't heard audibly when it's recorded, so it's only on playback. So that would kind of make sense, you know. It's like Steve, you owe me t- ten ten bucks. And, and uh, you, you're saying no, I no, I don't, uh, and that would come through, or something like that. You know, uh, where where uh, something that would you want to happen? Uh, you know, there's a ghost girl. Are you a ghost a girl? And uh, it, the answer is yes. So, um, yeah, it's, I've always wondered that. Uh, it's that something we've speculated. I mean, there is there is. Uh, we go back to the previous question. One of the other experiments that has um, been re- replicated and does seem to um, ha- hold water is this idea of the the people can influence their surroundings, the fall of a dice or the the way a, a coin will land. Um, they call it psychokinesis. Yeah, now. Sorry. Any across the table. Who hasn't tried that? (laughs) Well, there is evidence from the experiments that on a very small scale, this is possible. So if it's possible to manipulate the world around us by sheer power of will, then we mustn't dismiss the possibility of influencing a machine by also by the same mechanism. Makes perfect um, sense. We, you know, we've we've actually we've never carried it out yet, but we have devised an experiment to test that idea. We have the equipment as well, but we haven't had the opportunity. Mm. So, if you think real hard, can you get me over to the UK? The problem is it working it working reverse. Oh, darn. <laughs> it's interesting, though, when, when, when people look at the results of experiments and they go, uh, you know, everybody knows 50 50 is about chance. And they say, oh, you know, they didn't do any better than chance. But what's interesting, and this was spotted, I think, back in the 1920s or 30s, is that some people scored really, really badly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you were guessing the answers in a card guessing, or a Zenicard guessing, or uh, what's in the envelope, you know, what's in this sealed envelope guessing game. Um, most people would score about the average, about, you know, 
they call it chance, about what you would expect. Some people do rather well, and they, you know, you, you because there will always be a scale. There has to be because you can't have a, you can't have a median, a mean, if there isn't uh, an extreme top and an extreme bottom. But people, there were a, a bunch of experiments that started to produce really, really negative. You know, they got everything wrong all of the time. Which is, and one of the researchers said, are we de- dealing with a kind of negative side? Oh, I get you. Yeah. The old power of attraction thing. And, and yeah, if you track. Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on to the next one. And this is for me. Question for Ron. I know Steve has a uh, his ghostology course here in the UK. So they must be from the UK. And I have his book. Well, he sold one. Um, but I often hear Ron speak about paranormal CSI. Are there any plans to do an online course or write a book on it? And the short answer to that is no. I've had a lot of people ask about that, but uh, I really haven't thought about doing it uh, online or writing a book on it. Uh, it's, I don't know, I, but answer is no on that. So there you go. All right. Uh, would either one of you use a trigger object? If so, how and why? Well, I have um, when it was necessary, when, when, you know, people have said the trigger object moved or an object moved, then you would sometimes substitute that object for another object. Um, We don't call them trigger objects. We call them provocative objects. It must be from the US then. Um, Well, the idea, I mean, Price was was drawing around stuff and putting stuff on mantelpieces Mm -hmm. back in the 1920s. It's an old, old trick technique um and then you would mark the position of it you know was, by drawing it, around it was whatever. it you was it you were most haunted that they were doing some investigation and they put a crucifix on the paper oh, and was, were... yeah that was jason carl uh series ah. one his he used to carry this small wooden crucifix around with him um mm-hmm. and then he would because you know it looks good on television i've mm-hmm. always said that the one and I've asked other investigators, you know, one of the questions I ask sometimes is like, if you were, you know, if you could choose one trigger object, one object, um, because you don't know anything about the, the case, which object would you choose to take? Now, you know, you, the, it's part of a longer series, but, you know, you point out the ridiculousness of going into a 17th century ho, um, manor house where supposedly the ghost of a 17th century child lives and then using a Buzz Lightyear toy as the trigger <clears throat> object. You know, they're not going to pick it up. They're going to run away. Um, but there is an object that we use. We have a box of them um, for the exactly that reason that we occasionally use, very, very occasionally. Um, but what are they? Uh, you know, you ask me this question all the time. I never get it. So I'm not even going to try. We use coins. Ah, there you go. Nobody nobody can walk past a dime or, a, you know, or a penny. Now, nowadays, we could put a penny on there. And you'll stay there forever, even on the street. 
Most people don't. Most people would pick it up or kick it. Not in the U.S. No, we're too too proud for that. Oh, it's only a penny. I'm not wasting bending over for that. I I would bet if next time I I come over, next time I come over, we're going to sit on the porch with a camera. Oh, we set an experiment up. There you go. We're going to sit on the porch with a camera Mm -hmm. and we're going to glue, epoxy glue, a quarter Onto the sidewalk. Oh, but God says we could just leave it on there. <laughs> we know what now, I bet you nine out, eight out of ten people will, will stop and pick it up or try to. Mm, a quarter there, mate. Penny, never. Once so, in a while. So still. what I'm saying is because mm. of that natural tendency, we use, you know, we've got a bag of coins. So, you know, so there, some of them are real. Some of them are copies you know, um, picked up in museums, in the stores of museums, not really different time periods. Yeah. So we have some medieval, we've got some Roman, yeah. we've got some, we, and we have a few shot, very, you know, sort of obviously gold and silver ones. They're not, they're painted, but it doesn't make any difference. They look good. And, you know, if you were walking, you know, if you're a ghost and you're walking through down, you know, through a castle and you see a shiny gold coin on the floor, a doubloon or a, Pieces of eight, you're going to go, oh, I'll have that. If they're going to go for anything, they go for the money. There you go. Good, good answer. You, know, you ask me it all the time, and I never remember what it was. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> but, but, I mean, a crucifix, you don't know what the, what the... If that person was persecuted as a religious heretic, or they're not going to go anywhere near it. Right, so don't buy it. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I've used them before. I, I am not going to deny it. I've used liquor before. I've used, uh, I have used toys. To, uh, well, that would work. A ball, like a ball or something of, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people use cat toys because. Because they light up and make noise. Yeah, but it makes no sense because you want the ghost to interact. That's the idea behind them. You want the It'd spirit. Ghost cat. Well, you want the spirit to interact with that <laughs> device. Yeah. So why are you going to use something that is probably, I mean, kind of like, you know, if, if you go into a Victoria, a Victor, remember the Victorian went to, was it North Andover? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andover. If, you put a, if you put a cat ball on the table and there was a Victorian ghost wandering about and they saw this cat ball, they're going to think it's come from outer space. You, you, you'll clear the building of every ghost because of, oh my God. Martha, don't go into that room. The aliens have landed. The Martians are here. They're not going to go anywhere near it. You you put a you know ten dollar uh, bill on the table. Mm-hmm. They'll pick it up. Okay, so we're getting down to the end of the show. We've got a couple more I want to get through. Steve, with the SPR train my group, so they must be in the UK. And uh, would we be certified? Oh, there you go. No, the SPR don't do training yet. They may do, but ASAP do. And yes, you will receive an accreditation, um, not as a group, but as individuals. So, so you need to be a member of ASAP. It's five quid a year. So ASAP. So sign up for ASAP. Uh, yeah, the Association for Scientific. If you're in the UK, you know who ASAP are. Yeah, they're uh, SPR. Go on to ASAP's website. You can join from as little as five pound a year. There you go. Can't beat that. And yes, ASAP do have training because 
I run it. I am the training officer. Oh, my God. I don't know if you could bear it. I know it's really hard, you know, but uh, I, you know, I do my best to bear it. Snap that whip. Anyway, I don't, but there we go. Let's, let's ask this, uh, get this one in here, which is, a, this was an, another intriguing one I found. Uh, could you investigate a place remotely with no boots on the ground? So in other words, all automated. Well, easily. And yes, it's been done. It's been tried. Um, we often, one of the things when, when we, you know, if you go to somewhere like a museum or an office building, they often have an environmental system and a security system. The environmental system will give you a continuous recording of the temperature, the humidity and other things. The security camera system will give you, you know, information, gives you a baseline. So if they have those automated systems, ask them for the data from them if if they you know if you think it's relevant um you know if they see apparitions in the corridor get the security camera footage from that corridor they say the temperature changes get the environmental data from it but to do an investigation remotely you could and we've done it but then there's a weakness because it's kind of the tree fall in the forest. Does anybody hear the sound? Because the, one of the key parts of the reason for somebody being there is that somebody was there and had an experience. And what you're really studying is a human experience. You can study the location remotely, but are you studying the haunting remotely? I know it. That's the, is the human element an important part of the very important part. And, uh, most people think that think it is exactly. but you can you can certainly study uh, and record the environment uh, remotely where did you go but anyway. oh i'm still very quiet no you just went very quiet, quiet. because i was just listening to your charming voice as usual all right okay i could do it in a way that <laughs> actually, like, i could talk like dylan jones there you go. That was the old Dylan. <laughs> don't want who's down in Savannah, y'all. Down in Savannah, y'all. Oh, that Still went down Australian. There? That went Australian, didn't it? I know I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that was that wasn't good. Mm. All right. So uh we actually gotta wrap it up, I think. Really? No, I think we've got time for one more. No, we don't, because I have no more. <laughs> you just make one up. No, I'm not going to make one up. I don't roll that way. Okay. Um, well, in some news, do you remember I did the um, infrasound job for the a, med a leading media company? Yes, I heard you about that. Yeah, well, I got an email from another leading media company today saying, mm -hmm. "Would I could I do it for them? See, you are the infrasound god. I keep telling you that. So I have a, a meeting on Friday, Zoom meeting on Friday, to discuss what they want. Yeah. And how much? <laughs> well, that might enter into it at some point. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when will we hear, see this uh, other one that we are? Um, I understand around October time in the UK. Around October. Right, excellent. The... 
do a bell from the dead is here, the pizza from the dead. So, oh. he would, he, but it, it's so high now, only dogs can hear it. So, uh, that's you know, that's Jan told me it was there. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, you do have. You do have an event coming up in, in this fall because I posted a, a video for you. Uh, what is that? I do. Event? You mean in Ireland in yeah, yes. about four weeks? Mm. Yes. But I've also got a wedding to go to. And, um, yeah, but tell me about this event that's going on in Ireland. Well, it's actually it's a ghostology event, um, which is going to run in Ireland in, uh, I've forgotten the date, September. End of September, mm-hmm. the end of September, and it will be for it will be a ghostology um, weekend, um, theory and interactive fun and games during the day, and then a ghost hunt at night. Excellent, sounds really good. So, not, uh, any not as boring as it sounds. Um, I believe so. Okay, where can they go to get it? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I know you're <laughs> going to say that. Yeah, you are such a good salesman. <laughs> I'm a terrible salesman, but it is on the Ghost Chronicles page somewhere. 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 It's certainly not on my It's on our Patreon page. If you are a Patreon pa- uh, member, you uh, would find it there. Uh, or look up comes. Spook Troop Tours Ireland. There you go. So anyways, we got to go. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with my uh, guest will be Joni Meyer, uh, author and paranormal investigator. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.